Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We are in our series uh, on foundations, and we're looking at uh, baptism as a foundational doctrine. We're looking out of Hebrews chapter 6, where the author says, let us not lay again the foundations. Uh, let us leave the elementary teachings not laying again the foundations of, and there's six planks, uh, repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instructions in baptisms, plural, uh, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. We've also talked about how all six of these plank comes in pairs. So there's three sets of pairs. Repentance and faith go together. We've already dealt with that. Go on the podcast if you want to hear about it. Then we've got instructions in baptisms, the laying on of hands. That's what we're looking at right now. And then we're going to be looking at resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, which are another pair that go together. And so we're looking at instructions in baptisms and God willing, if we have time, we may even touch on the laying on of hands this morning, but it's probably going to have to be next week or the following week. Next week, we are going to baptize people. We're going to get people dunked in the water, initiate them, and uh, let the power of God come upon them in the baptismal waters. And so if you have never been baptized, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. Number one, go back and listen to the podcast from, I believe it was three weeks ago. Three weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Or was it four weeks ago? Because three weeks ago we were home. Two weeks ago. Two, two weeks ago we were home, right? So three weeks ago. Bear with me. Let's splice this out of the podcast. Uh, three weeks ago, and uh, listen to that. Go online. Look at the little blurb video. It's like five, seven minutes long. Sign up for baptism and get baptized. I don't care if you've been serving Jesus for 50 years. If you have not been baptized in water... It's time to do it out of obedience to Jesus, okay? So let's do that. And we're also going to be praying for people to be baptized in the Spirit. And so we, uh, we, we, we invite you to do that. This is foundational, okay? Now, we talked last week about how these two things go together. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so... I want to jump into this thing on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about that, got into a very confusing, I can see the look on your face, uh, the very confusing teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But suffice it to say, we were talking about one facet of the baptism of the Spirit that isn't often emphasized, and that is that through the baptism in the Spirit, you're awakened to your place in the body of Christ and empowered to function in that role. And it's an, a facet of the baptism in the Holy Spirit that we Pentecostals do not emphasize enough. Okay. Now, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive power. We're endued or endowed with power. A gift given. We're, uh, uh, abilities are bestowed upon us is what the word endued means. To be bestowed upon with an inheritance or some wealth. And the what we're endued with is power from on high. And here's the thing. A powerless Christian is an oxymoron. A powerless Christian is a nonsensical phrase that unfortunately describes a lot of Christians. And I, I'm not saying that an unkind, unkind uh, uh, critic, critical way, I'm saying that with a broken heart, we need power from on high. We need God to baptize us in his spirit. So it's the result of a half gospel. 
The good news, I'm just going to read through some things here. The good news which erases my past debt also provides unlimited capital for my future. Let me catch it again. The good news which erases my past debt, and most of us have a grasp of that. Oh yeah, the, when I got saved, it erased my past. I'm forgiven, but we fail to enter into the power for the life to come. It's like having your debt paid, but still being broke. I don't, have, I don't owe anybody, but I got nothing to pay my future debt for. We just get in debt again. And so the power of the Spirit, we go down in the water and bury that old man with the edicts written against him, with, with our debt being left in the water, and we come up, and then there is an impartation into our bank account of Holy Ghost ability to live the holy life and to exude that to others through the power of God. And so we need to be empowered. The gospel that cancels sin also empowers for life and service. This is the implication of Luke's phrase when it says in, in Luke chapter 3 it says, and with many other words he preached the good news to them. It's on the tale of Luke preaching. He said, what I do with water, the one coming after me will do with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, someone wrote me this week and said, hey, pastor, is there a difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit? And they said, the reason they asked that is because someone told them a ghost is dead and a spirit is alive. Well, really, in fact, those are interchangeable. They're the same phrase. They're just... Holy Ghost is a more archaic way of saying it, and I say that when I get Pentecostal. When I'm a more upright, polished, charismatic, I say Holy Spirit. But when I get to my roots and get a little Holy Ghost Pentecostal, I'll start calling the ghost. They are the same. There's no distinction in the Greek that would warrant using one phrase. They're both, both pneuma in the Greek. It's the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. But Peter said, I mean, John said, what I do with water... Jesus will do with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so he eternally connected these two things. And in fact, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 said the same thing. He said what John did, he said, you heard it from me. I thought that was interesting because I don't know if Jesus taught outright saying that phrase. I've heard John say it in the early, uh, before Jesus came on the scene but we never hear Jesus saying this phrase, but he did say it to his disciples. We just didn't get in on the conversation. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus refers to it and says, hey guys, you heard this from me. What John did with water, I will do with the Holy Spirit. And he didn't say the fire component there. Luke adds that component. Uh, even though Jesus said it, Jesus doesn't reiterate it. And the other gospels don't highlight that fire baptism. We'll get into that soon because this is a necessary element of the baptism of the Spirit. So the one who initiated New Testament baptism, John the baptizer, and the one who coined the phrase, the baptism in the Spirit, and the one who is himself the baptizer in the Spirit, Jesus himself, both of them tied water baptism and spirit baptism together with that phrase. They both connected it and contrasted them. One is in water, one is in the Spirit. And what we need to understand is that when this baptism in the Spirit comes upon us, it empowers us, it endues us with the power of God from on high. So the gospel that cancels sin empowers us for life, and this is the implication of Luke's phrase. With many other words, John preached the gospel to them. What he's saying is, listen, 
This is part of the gospel. When we talk about the baptism in water and the baptism in fire, this is part of the gospel, the entry point to the kingdom. The gospel is the threshold or the doorframe you walk through to get into this wonderful kingdom. Now, there's a whole lot more to explore once you get inside the door, but you don't even get in. You can't get in until you cross the threshold of the good news of the gospel. And Part of that good news is baptism in water and in the spirit. This is elementary teaching. This is foundational Christianity. And if you haven't secured those two things in your life, let's get about laying firm foundations in our life so we can build from there. You don't want to live a deficient life. We want to enter in in obedience, even if you don't understand and hopefully As I've taught a little on this, you've gained some understanding. And if you didn't hear the other messages, get back and listen to them. If you have questions, see me. But we want to enter into this thing because there is power to live a holy life in the baptism of the Spirit. And there is power to give it away in the Holy Spirit. And so with many other words, he preached the gospel. Without this emphasis, we live a belief system that remains fragile. Baptism is part of the gospel. It's the foundational teaching that sets the course for the rest of our lives. Without this emphasis, we have a belief system that remains fragile, closing the door of access on our end through through unbelief. What do I mean by that? You ever stayed in a hotel room where you connect rooms? I, I had... I had a lot of kids, so when they were all at home, if we went somewhere, there wasn't just getting one hotel room, okay? There was, what, nine of us eventually, you know, we had had a big family, and so we would get connecting hotel rooms, and in those connecting hotel rooms, there's usually two doors, not one. There's one door from each side. Through the blood of Jesus, through the gospel, God opened his side of the room, and he's waiting, but through faith, we have to open our door. And then we have access. But we can, ha- we can stand in front of an open door on God's end, but through unbelief, r- leave the door closed on our end. So faith accesses what God has provided. And we, what we do is we need to understand these principles so that we can enter in by faith. And baptism is a ceremony, a prophetic act, whereby we enter into this reality. It's not that it makes something a reality that wasn't already there, but it gains us access. It gives us a reference point. It's a cooperation in the natural realm for what's going on in the spiritual realm, and we go through the door and we access what God has given us. And there are a lot of people with anemic faith, shallow faith, weak faith, and they're up and down and inconsistent precisely because they haven't done the first works. And so let's do this thing. There's no shame on you if you've not been baptized in water or in the Spirit. It'd be a shame, not not shame on you, but it'd be a a cry and shame for you to leave unaccessed, unseized what Jesus paid for you. And so let's get in the water. Let's celebrate this thing. I think it'd be great if we said we started at 8.30 service and we just had to go right on through to the 10.30 and keep baptizing. And people started pulling in the parking lot because the glory cloud showed up. We just keep baptizing people. That'd be awesome. Okay. 
Both water and spirit baptisms are intended by heaven to be experiences whereby grace establishes these realities in our life, taking the door off the hinges on both sides, so to speak. This empowerment is manifested in three specific areas as modeled in the experience of Jesus. Now, the reason I'm going to read this is I've got a lot to say this morning, and I know if I get away from my notes, I'm not going to make it. Okay? So you look at the baptism of Jesus, and, and I'm sure I've talked about this sometime in the last five years, but it's fascinating to me. The three facets of Jesus' water baptism are pictures for us of what God offers to us. Jesus went down in the water. And John, his, his cousin, John the Southern Baptist, he said, he said, whoa, Jesus, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. I, I, I can't baptize you. And J Jesus said, listen, I must fulfill all of righteousness. That's a pretty heavy statement. If Jesus, the sinless son of God, needed to do that to fulfill righteousness, how about you and I? And so he submits to the baptism John puts him down and he comes up and there's three phenomena that happened in the physical realm. The first is the heavens opened. Man, I love that. An open heaven. When Jesus called Nathaniel, by the way, this passage is why I named my youngest Nathaniel. I love it. When Nathaniel arrives, he said, I saw you under the tree. And Nathaniel said, you're a prophet. He said, you'll see greater things than this. He said, you're a true Israelite in whom there's no guile. You are truly pure in heart. He defines what a true Israelite is. Someone who is in pure in heart. And he says, you will see the angels ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. He was talking of himself. So Jesus was essentially saying, listen, go to, Ge go to Genesis 28. You see the ladder under Jacob, uh, Jacob's ladder, they refer to it as. Jacob's laying on the ground at a place called Luz. He renames it Bethel in light of his encounter. And Bethel means the house of God. Jacob wakes up and he says, oh my goodness, God is here and I knew it not. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. And there's an angel, rest, I mean a, a ladder resting on the earth and reaching into heaven. And there's angelic activity, ascending and descending. There is an open-handed, open heaven. There's tr the traffic of heaven, ac heaven's activity. Messages going up in prayer and coming down in revelation. There's an open heaven over his life. And G Jesus refers to that and he said, Nathaniel, you're going to see that happening over me. I am your ladder of access. No man comes to the Father but by me. And conversely, the Father comes to no man but through me. I'm the ladder of access. And so when we go down in the water, there is an open heaven concept that happens. That God wants to open up the heavens over our life so that we can have greater communication. And when the Spirit comes upon us, that is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit, one facet of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is revelation and power for prayer will begin to be ignited in your life. This Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Jesus said, there was a lot more I wanted to teach you, but I couldn't, you couldn't handle it, so I'm going to send you another like unto myself, the Holy Spirit, and he will incrementally release to you what I wanted to give you in one load. He's the teacher. He's the one that's going to enlighten your minds. The same spirit that came on the writers of scripture will come on you to interpret his own writings. 
And so there's an open heaven that comes on you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm wanting to entice you this morning. I'm wanting to build your faith. Some of you may have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you've never thought of it like this. And I want to encourage you. There is an access to an open heaven that God wants you to get hungry for and begin to access. Because when the Spirit comes upon you, one of the things that happens is there is an open heaven. There are, we need a, I did a series many years ago on a theology of an open heaven. There is a person as an open heaven, there is a place as an open heaven, and there is a people as an open heaven. And all three of those I can give you scriptural tracks for another day. Uh, but Jesus is the person of the open heaven. And we can be an individual that walks as an open heaven, even if one hasn't been drilled in our region. But then what God does is he creates a people of an open heaven and he creates, through those people, he creates places of an open heaven. There are geographical places. The Celtics, the Celtic Christians, called them thin places because God has moved there before. You ever notice that God tends to move again and again in the same places? It's because the heavens have been thinned there. Somebody has burled a hole. And so what, has to, what needs to happen is there's an individual walking in the favor of God with an open heaven that out of that is created a people, a corporate people of, called a church, a people of an open heaven, and literally they can drill a hole in a geographic place. And that's exactly what happened with Jacob. Jacob took a nap at Luz and he woke up and he said, God was here and I knew it not. This is none other than the house of God from an earthly perspective and the gate of heaven from a heavenly perspective. It's an entry point for heaven's activity. What Jacob didn't understand is his great, his, his great, or his grandfather, not his great grandfather, his grandfather had come through Luz on two occasions and built an altar and sacrificed. And his grandfather's sacrifice opened something up in the spirit that Jacob was able to enter into by just sleeping on that ground. And God has called us to be a people of an open heaven. This house, I'm telling you, God showed me this place in a vision. Years ago, we had a prophet come in and he said, I want, I want you to ask God how he sees someone in the room. And later on, my brother came to me and said, Dave, I asked the Lord how he sees you and this is what he told me. And what he told me broke me. Because there were very intimate things that nobody knows about me that the, God, that, that the Lord valued about me that I didn't think was a big deal, but was a, a fixture in my life that the Lord greatly valued. And I guarantee you it's that way for all of us. But that intimate validation from the Father just broke me. And sometimes I'll go back and just revisit that and think, Lord, I can't believe that my puny little efforts mean something to you, that that matters to you. And I guarantee you the same is true for you as well. A couple months later, Christopher said, I felt like the Lord said, this, Christopher's my brother, he was on staff with us for 16 years. He said, he said, Dave, I feel like the Lord is asking you, he showed you what, how he sees you. Do you want to see how he sees Heartland? And my heart left, yes. So I began to pray into that, and about three weeks later, I went into a vision, and I saw this place, and there was this huge cavernous hole that went straight up. It was like those tunnels, those cylindrical tunnels drilled through 
mountains, but it went straight up. It was like we lived in a mountain and straight up from here, bigger than the sanctuary, was a hole that disappeared. It was, it was too tall for me to see and it was an open heaven. And then the Lord told me this. He said, but you are in danger of not understanding what you have. And if you don't understand it, you can't leverage it for my kingdom. God has given you access to an open heaven. The heavens opening over our life. And God wants you to have power in prayer through the Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, we know we get the mind of Christ through the Spirit. The, the things of God, the natural man cannot receive, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In other words, the, the, the natural man there is not, the NIV unfortunately translates that verse as the man without the spirit. That's not what it's saying. It, the natural man is the, Greek, is the Greek adjective for the soul. The man of the soul or the soulish man cannot receive the things of God. It's not saying he's not saved. It's saying that he, he operates out of his own mind, will, and emotions. And the, thing, the ways of God are higher than our ways. We can't receive them. And so we limited ourselves to our own intellect and our own revelation, and you put a lid on, on going any farther in God. But the man of the Spirit can uh, know all things. He can judge all things. And so by the Spirit, we discern what God is doing. God will give you, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look it up when you get home. That by the Spirit, we get downloads in our spirit, make sense of it in our soul, and release it through our body. But if you cut off, if you're a man of the soul, see, a fleshly man, a mere infant Christian is someone that lives out of his body, his fleshly lust. You're saved, like I've told you many times. When I got saved, the lady who led me to the Lord gave me money for a Bible. I went out and bought a keg for it. That is the definition. If, if, that was, if there was in the, in the Bible dictionary, fleshly Christianity, my picture of me with my keg would be right next to it as an example. That was fleshly. I was still living for my flesh. I didn't want to, but I was bound. Then you have adolescent Christianity, which is the man of the soul. But a mature man, a spiritual man, is a person who walks by the Spirit, gets words from the Spirit, and then processes them in their soul. Their mind is not the master, but the servant. The mind carries out the will of God. It doesn't demand understanding. Well, you've explained this to me before I'll believe. We hung, you know, there's that beautiful phrase out of A.W. Tozer's book. He said, there's a place in God where the intellect, sometimes your intellect has to wait humbly outside while your heart goes into worship. And that's the posture we have to have. That's a spiritual man. And so we receive the things of God. So we can pray in our own language the things of God. But then he gives us another tool because there's sometimes it's beyond my ability to process with words. It's beyond my ability. I don't have the revelation yet to get where I need to go. So God has given me the unknown tongue, the, uh, the tongues where I'm praying his will. I, I've told this story before, but Miss Sandra, who you, her and her husband used to be on staff with us, Sandra Collier, when she got radically saved as a young woman, she had a friend she would pray with. And she, was, she had been praying during this season, God, I need a new heart. Lord, my heart, I, I just need you to cleanse me. I need a new heart. And one day she was praying with her, her friend, and they're praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. And her friend stops her and said, Sandra, do you speak French? She said, no. 
She said, well, I do, and you just spoke in perfect French. Well, Sandra said, well, what did I say? And she said, what you said was, oh, Jesus, thank you for my new heart. Thank you for my new heart. What her mind was longing for, her spirit discerned she already had. But there's a place in God where even bankrupt tongues, they're praying with our native tongue, there's praying with an unknown tongue, and then there's a praying with no language at all. There's this deep groan of the Spirit, where the Spirit groans with us out of eight, Romans chapter 8. We enter into the groans of the Spirit. But those things are inaccessible without the Spirit coming upon us. So it's an open heaven. The second manifestation was that the dove descended. It's the Spirit coming upon us, Him coming on us. Bill Johnson has this wonderful teaching about how the Spirit is in us for us, but on us for others. It's that mantle to minister to others. It's that mantle. It's the gifts of the Spirit coming upon us. It's the, the power of God to operate, especially in the 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 gifts. They're supernatural gifts imparted from the Spirit, and as he comes upon us, and he is to come upon us and abide. That's what John said. He said, I'll know the Messiah. The Lord had told John, he said, you'll know the Messiah. He'll be the one the Spirit comes on and abides. And the Lord never intended for you to obtain what you don't maintain. He never intended for the Spirit to come off and on you. Now, there are times where he comes on us in a, in a greater conscious way, but we're to abide with him and walk with the dove on our shoulder, learning to keep in step with the Spirit, to not shoo him away by our behavior, but to be sensitive to him and to walk under the dove. And then the third manifestation was the Father spoke, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. I better get back to my notes. Oh, man. This was the affirmation of the Father. And this is the key. The Father's affirmation is the wedge that keeps the door open. Let me say it again. It's the Father's affirmation that keeps the door open. You see the order of the Spirit's descent? The heavens open, the dove descended, and the Father spoke. When the father spoke, it was his affirmation of his pleasure on his son. And we need to walk in that pleasure. And that is the key to walking and with the spirit remaining upon us. To walk with an open heaven. Because if you don't walk in that affirmation, what happens is you close the door on your end out of condemnation. It's not that God closes the door. His side of the room is still open. But we close ours and we convince ourselves of the disappointed father who's looking at us and saying, this guy again, man, he's such a mess up. Why doesn't he get it right? And we, we get under that voice and the door becomes closed. And so the way he descends, the way this open heaven lands on our life is exactly the opposite of the way it begins to lift. 
And it's not that it lifts from God's end, it lifts from ours. It's like a plane. When a plane is, you know, it's going to land. It begins to descend, uh, you know, wheels out, touchdown. <laughs> when the Spirit, when, when we fail to live in that abiding Spirit, we fail to live under hosting, <laughs> host the ghost, not, uh, when we, we fail to host the Holy Spirit in our life, what happens is that consciousness begins to lift. It comes off the ground, wheels up, and then it descends, and the heavens close. But all of this is on our head. This is why uh, another great Bill Johnson phrase, the open heaven is between your ears. Now, that's not the only open heaven, but that's the first one. Because if you don't keep the heaven open between your ears, the heavens will begin to close on your end and every other facet. A person that doesn't believe they have access can come into a room full of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the presence of God can be thick, and they won't even be aware of it. Or if they are, they feel like they're on the outside. They, they can't accept the invitation to enter because their own heart condemns them. That's why the blood of Jesus cleanses our heart of a guilty conscience. I better get back to my notes. Okay. This is where the battle rages around our, our, the, uh, our faith. This is the secret to the abiding anointing. What did he say? You are my son. Identity derived from the father. My son. When I look at one of my, that's my son. And everybody knows he is the son of Dave Olson. That's my son. And so there's this identification with the father. In whom I am well pleased, my pleasure resides in you. The Greek word there is evdokia. It looks, it, you can, it's transliterated, transliterated E-U-D-O-K-I-A. It looks like eudokia, but it's euthdokia in the Greek. And it's, a, it's a, a family of words which talks about pleasure. Now it's an interesting word because it never showed up in crack, uh, classical Greek outside of scripture. Matter of fact, it never shows up in Koine Greek either. It was a, a word invented by biblical scholars in the Septuagint to communicate a word in Hebrew that meant desire, will, and wish. And so they invented this word to express the heart of God. And this is what this word means, and it's used throughout Scripture. It's used in Ephesians chapter 1 where it says, before the foundation of the earth, God chose us and he predestined us that we would be adopted as sons according to his good pleasure. And it was the purpose of his will to make that happen. That the idea of that word is this, that God made a decision with no external pressure, it was something he made inside of him, then he stubbornly pursued that decision and nothing is gonna stand in his way. Why? Simply because it makes him happy to do so. God loves to pour out his blessing on his children. Now some people will translate that and say, oh, so that's predestined. That's only for those who are predestined to salvation. No, God predestined a place for humanity because we now go from eternity past where Paul is talking about and we go to the Christmas story. The angels, when they came to the shepherds, I love that story. Because it's the gospel from a heavenly perspective. It's the angels that have been worshiping around the throne for eons. And they're wondering, God, what are you going to do with these losers on the earth? 
You, made, you gave them everything, and look what the mess they made. And there's buzz in heaven, but they're not sure what's happening. And all of a sudden, they start getting messages. They got to, hey, do you hear Gabriel went down? He, he got a message for this little virgin girl. Hey, you hear Gabriel went over to talk to her, her fiance. And on that night, Jesus invaded planet Earth, human history. And if you read the text, it's almost as if the angels, they, it's like they couldn't contain themselves and also they just manifest. They kind of step through the curtain, guys! And they, it says the shepherds were sore afraid. I bet! They're like, and they said, unto you is born this day in the city of David. Listen to what he said, unto you. He didn't say, hey, a little virgin girl. No, he said, you had a baby. You all did. Humanity was pregnant, and it happened. And they're freaking out. <laughs> and then he says this. Peace on earth. Peace. He says, glory to God in the highest. From the realm we came from, we are blown away. And we have been on our faces all night, and we just had to step through the curtain and let you know what's going on. You guys have no idea. This changes everything. They said, in our realm, it was glory, glory, glory. But in your realm, peace on earth, good will towards men. It was God's heart towards humanity. And it's the same word, euthdokia. Good will. God's heart towards man is he said, listen, I've made a decision and nothing will stand in my way. I've sent my son in advance knowing you would crush him, you would beat him and you would murder him, but I've made a decision and nothing will stand in my way and I'm gonna stubbornly pursue it. Why? Because it makes me happy to do so. And I'm gonna give you access. The door is open on my side. I'm just waiting Open the door on yours. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. He's saying, will you let me in? Will you let me in? Because there's euthdokia, goodwill, mercy from heaven. There is pleasure in him and affection in his heart. It is his decision to be pleased based on his heart, his value system. It's not something we work up. It's something he placed his affection in and on in eternity before we ever performed a single act of sin or righteousness. And this reveals his heart and intention towards us. You gotta get a hold of this because this is the God who's saying, come in, I'm giving you access. This pleasure actually produces the behavior. Catch this. It's not pleasure that's placed beyond the, uh, upon the behavior, it's actually pleasure that produces the behavior. It's pleasure in him. His pleasure precipitated our behavior. And when we get a revelation of it, his pleasure and our, our grasp of that all of a sudden produces in us a corresponding pleasure in him. Lord, you gave so much. I wanna, I wanna live for you. And God empowers us to do so. So I'm telling you, the Father's affirmation, his validation over us is the linchpin to this thing. That's why it says, by the Spirit, 
We put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Why? Because by the Spirit, the love of God is poured out in our hearts. John cha- or Romans chapter 5. How does God reveal his great love to you? Not just through some cognitive grasp of the gospel. Yes, we, we attempt to grasp. We say, God, help me to see your love in the gospel. But there's also an experiential receiving of the Spirit where he comes upon us and we're baptized in his love. And it's overwhelming. And it births within us a corresponding love. We cannot help to love him. Because why? He first loved us and he revealed it to us both in his act at Calvary and his outpouring in the Spirit. And so this revelation of who he is is so key And it's wrapped up in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, before it's ever power to give it away through signs and wonders and witnessing, it is first a witness to our own heart, a revelation of his great affection for us that needs to rock us to our toenails. That's good theology. Being rocked to your toenails. Write that down. Okay. His affection in and on, in and on in eternity, in and on us in eternity, before we performed a single act of sin and righteousness, this reveals his heart and tension towards us. This pleasure actually produces the behavior. It's the catalyst for holiness, consistency, for maturity, not his response to these things. In other words, God is not placing his pleasure on our character. He's placing it upon his original dream of a race in his image. Living from this pleasure what actually produces the transformed life, the character that he calls us into. The baptism of the Spirit of, is of this vital truth. For it is the Spirit, is by the Spirit, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. This is experiential learning at its best. Go ahead and stand. Ephesians chapter 3. In the first 15 years of pastoring this church, the first 15 years, there was one passage that I preached on more than any other passage. And that was Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through the end of the chapter. It's an apostolic prayer by Paul. And he says this For this reason, I now stand before, I now bow my knee before the Father, from whom all fatherhood and family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that the power of the Spirit would come upon you. Just close your eyes and receive this this morning. I pray that the power of the Spirit would come upon you. And he would give you a revelation of the magnitude of God's love for you. The height, the width, the length, and the breadth of this great love. And that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now that's an interesting phrase. How can we know something that surpasses knowledge? And if you look in the original language, Paul is saying this. I'm going to release to you something that's beyond your ability to study yourself into. The magnitude of God's love is never something you'll be able to grasp until you've experienced it. And so Lord, we ask God that you're your love would settle upon us. And Lord, we thank you what you're gonna do in this room next week. 
But Lord, we're not waiting till next week. Lord, we want that door to be unlocked on both sides of the room. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just begin to worship him right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I ask that you'd begin to settle on those right now, God. Just settle on them, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we ask for a revelation of the open door. Lord, the open heaven over our heads, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. We don't have to wait for you to give the Spirit. He's already been given. He just needs to be received. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, next week, we're going to baptize in water. We're going to lay hands on people to be baptized in the Spirit. If either one of those are a present need in your life, I want to encourage you. Let's step into this thing. God will be faithful to his word. Amen? Amen. I love you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.